Hello and welcome to another episode of A Composer's Journey, where we can learn and discover the art of composing. So I had a question this week from Henna, who says, I'd love an episode about composing for the voice and how that may differ from composing instrumental music. And then Jeff says, I'll second that request. And Haley says, yes, please. It's great to see familiar faces. So this, was, um, this was from the Facebook group. So thank you for those questions. And by the way, if you want to ask your own question, then the best way to do that, the best way to make sure that I'll see that question is if you sign up for the email list, sign up for the email newsletter. That's the sort of once a week email where I give you content about composing. And once you sign up for that, you'll have my email and you can write to me your question. And I can't promise that I'll answer all of them. But if you send me a very good question, if you send me a question that'll be great for a podcast episode, then, you know, I'll probably answer it. So to, to join that email list, you can go to insidethescore.com forward slash composers. And I'll make sure to include a link in the description to this episode. So anyway, thank you, Henna, for the question. Uh, so... The thing is, the human voice is human. You know, it's it's not like an oboe or something where the oboe, even if you're having a bad day, the oboe can play the same range of notes. Whereas the human voice is very much human. It'll have good days, it'll have bad days, and um, it'll have, you know, hungover days or days when you're recovering from sickness or something. And the voice needs warming up as well. And I know that's not the question you were asking per se, but the important thing is that everyone's voice is different and everyone's voice might be better on some days and they might be worse on other days. So, you know, you want to know who you're writing for. If you're writing for a choir, then you want to know that choir's strengths and weaknesses, uh, if that makes sense. So, for example, a really professional choir might be able to sing much lower notes with much more strength. And they might also be able to go much higher with much more strength. Whereas if you're writing for a like a high school choir or a middle school choir, I'm talking ages 13 to 18, then you want to be more careful with what you're writing. You might not want to put extremely low notes in because it's unlikely, not impossible, but unlikely that high school choirs will be able to handle it. And the same with, um, so, so, so you want to know their strengths and weaknesses of who you're writing for. And also, you know, if you're writing for a single voice, it's okay to write with someone's voice in mind. If you're writing for a solo voice, you can get to know the person that you're writing for, or, or you can imagine the person that you're writing for. If, if you have a friend who has a great voice, write it with their voice in mind. There, there are examples of this in music literature. So Benjamin Britten, for example, uh, his partner was Peter Pears, a famous tenor. Um, controversial voice, but some people love it. <laughs> you can probably guess my, my feelings on it, but, but, but you know, incredibly well-known tenor and was partners with Benjamin Britten. And so Britten wrote a lot of music with Peter Pears' voice in mind. And Peter Pears had a one note, it was an E, the E above middle C. Sorry, I was quite loud. Um, but the E above middle C, maybe I'll make a nice felt piano instead. Here we go. Uh, isn't that nicer? So Peter Pierce could sing this note really beautifully, or, or so Britain thought. So um, you'll notice in, in certain songs, Britain really emphasizes this note because it just sounded wonderful on Peter Pierce. So, for example, um, in... Britain's masterpiece opera, 
Peter Grimes. In Peter Grimes, there's a song which goes like, Now the great bear and Pleiades. I don't remember the words, but um, but it, it really lingers on the E for like a minute straight. Or there's Les Illuminations, uh, Les Illuminations which is a, a song cycle for strings and tenor or strings and soprano. But um, it goes, Je la clé de cette parade. That kind of thing, um, where he's lingering a lot on an E. So anyway, if, if you know the voice you're singing for, then that really helps. But in general, um, you want to know your ranges of, of your voices. So let's say you're writing for choir, you want to know the ranges of each voice that say, for example, a bass is generally comfortable down to a low E and then maybe up to about an E above middle C. And, uh, you know, tenor will be different. Tenor might be from C to A. And this this differs slightly, but you want to, you can look these ranges up. I'm not gonna get you to memorize them from a podcast. It's easy enough to look these vocal ranges up. But obviously, it's important to know the lowest notes and the highest notes of each voice part. But more than that, more than simply knowing what the lowest and highest notes are, you want to um, you want to realize that the voice will have different characteristics in different ranges. So, uh, Henna's question was, how does writing for voice differ from writing for instruments? But in a funny kind of way there's actually a huge number of similarities between writing for voice and writing for instruments. Because when you're writing for instruments, your instruments will have different qualities in different ranges. So I'm gonna pull up a flute. I'm gonna pull up a few woodwind instruments just to demonstrate this point. So I got my flute, is that loaded? Yeah, sounds good enough. Um, so look, here is the range of a flute. And what happens with a flute is when you're playing in its lowest range, It'll sound nice, but it's rather weaker. It won't really stick out of an orchestra. And then we get a higher, and it starts to sound sweeter and nicer, but it's still not carrying super strong. And there's something really interesting about this note. That note might sound familiar on flute to you. I'll play it a bit quieter, there we go. That's a C sharp. And there's something really weird about the flute that um, when you play a C sharp on the flute, it tends to be a much weaker note. It's a really awkward note for flautists to play. Uh, they find it really tricky. And that's something worth knowing that C sharps on flute, this C sharp in particular, is very difficult to play with strength and with carrying power. It tends to be much more hollow sounding. It's just a really hollow sounding note. And that in itself is worth knowing because when Debussy, wrote his prelude à l'après-midi d'enfant, when he wrote that C-sharp, he knew would sound hollow, he knew it would sound weird, it wouldn't carry as well as the other notes. And so he wrote with that C-sharp in mind, knowing that that C-sharp on a flute has a really special quality about it, a really hollow, strange sound about it. Anyway, let's continue going up. So. We got sweet, and then as we begin to get higher in the flute's range, 
It begins to become really clear and really penetrating. We can hear it. Whoops. And then it just starts to get a bit shrill as it gets to its highest range. So as we go through these different ranges of the flute, we get these different characters from being weak and luscious to sort of nice and sweet to very clear and, and brilliant to, to being kind of shrill. And uh, I'll, I'll play you another example. I'll play you a piccolo now. I'll just load her up. Here she comes. So piccolo in its lowest range is kind of quiet, very hollow. That's if if you if you if you you're playing that in orchestra texture, most people aren't going to hear it unless it's right out front. And then, still soft. That's quite a lovely sound now. That's quite a lovely sound around there, and we keep going up. And now, now it's very bright, very clear. Sorry, um, if you're listening to this on your phone or something, it'll probably sound like a dog whistle. But then, as we keep going up. It starts to, it starts to get really very shrill. Not great to listen to. Oh God, when you had a few beers last night. So um, now I'm gonna play the oboe. This is the last one. I'm just trying to make a point here that the different ranges of an instrument have different qualities of sound. So last one, oboe. Now let's play oboe low down is. It's pretty thick, pretty thick and thick and heavy at the bottom. Um, and then we go up. That's a lovely sound. And that's very clear. This might be the oboe's, you know, strongest range. And then as we go up. And. It starts to get kind of hollow and and pinched so it's different for every instrument where uh where that range is where 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 and what the qualities are you know if i were to play you a clarinet clarinets weirdly enough are pretty strong the whole way through um clarinets are pretty strong most of the way through their range right from lower notes to higher notes and some instruments have trouble playing uh quietly in a low range some instruments have trouble playing loudly in a low range like a flute might find it hard to play loudly at its lowest notes uh, whereas an oboe might find it hard to play quietly in its lowest notes so this is something to think about with voice too with the voice in my experience the lowest notes of the voice are going to be really quite tricky to sing quietly if i sing la i can go probably lower than normal today because Almost to C, almost to C natural. Normally I'm an E, but as I say, I, I had, had a few drinks um, and, and the voice is human. So uh, when I sing down here, la, 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 it's hard to really penetrate. It's hard to really sing out. But as I go up, um, and this is probably going to sound pretty dreadful, especially because I, I don't want to sing at full volume <laughs> into a microphone. Um, but la 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 da da da. You, you can start to sing loudly, but then, um, and you can start to really sing out. And you have a lot of control in your middle range. So it's hard to sing very loudly in your very lowest range. 
But then as you go up, you can start to sing much more clearly, much more um, expressively, and with much more control. You can sing loudly and quietly. When you get to your very highest range, I'm not going to demonstrate here. It might be there for me. Uh, when you're singing in your highest range, very tricky to sing it quietly. I, I could cheat by singing in falsetto. That's a kind of head voice. La, 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 la. But it's, it's, a, it's not really singing with my full voice. So, so it's very hard to sing very quietly in your highest range because it, well, it needs a lot of control. It's not impossible, but you need a very well-trained singer to do it. Um, and I'm not even going to try because it'll just, it'll just be, I, I don't want to torture you on the other end there. So there we go. Um, that is really important to keep in mind because I, I remember singing a choral piece um, it was a commission, it was a new piece, and it was for radio. And the piece ended, and the composer wanted it to be really loud, big ending. And so he marked it with four Fs, you know, super loud. I think, to be honest, I think anything above three Fs should just be marked FL. But um, four Fs, and then uh, the word was parchem, peace. So he was, he was making a sort of pun by making peace the loudest word in the piece. And he wrote parchem as full capital letters. So he's like, please, you know, sing it as loudly as you can. The trouble is, he put the range here. So basses were down here. And then uh, tenors were here. And altos were here. And sopranos were here. We were all all of us in the lowest range of our voice. And so we're trying to sing as loudly as we can, but it just ain't gonna happen on that chord because it's all in like the weakest registers of our voice. Had he wanted to make a really loud F major chord, he should have gone up here. Or even... You, know, you could still put a light, nice low bass note in there. But... Um, but if you're going to put all of us in the weakest, lowest registers of our voice, it's not going to be that brilliant a sound at all, frankly. So that was a shame, but uh, it was also a lesson singing that piece and being like, why is this F major not loud? It's just in the worst piece of our voice. The other thing to recognize about the voice is um, there's something called the passaggio, the passage, passaggio. Uh, it's like a breaking point that happens in voices when you're traveling, I wish I could demonstrate it, but it'll, it'll sound ugly no matter what. But uh, when I'm singing up here, la, da, 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 uh, especially because, especially because um, my voice isn't, isn't on form today, it is actually quite sore. Uh, for me, as a bass baritone, around B natural to C, I'm transitioning um, between my chest voice and my head voice. And um, if I'm singing really loudly, it doesn't really matter. But when I'm singing quietly or sort of at a medium dynamic, these two notes are particularly difficult to uh, to control. And they tend to sort of be awkward to sing around. Doesn't mean don't write them. Obviously, doesn't mean don't write them. But you don't want to be writing a part that's always around someone's passaggio. So, uh, you know, a bass baritone's passaggio, the difficult notes tend to be around B, C, middle C, that is middle C and B, around there. A tenor's passaggio might be around E flat, E um, or so. And it's just different for every voice. So again, you can look up these things online and you can find out where people's passaggios lie. It's a little different for every voice. And if you've got a very well-trained singer, they can handle it, so don't worry. But 
It is important to think about the passaggio. You don't want to be writing music where all the time for the entire piece they're singing right on their passaggio because that's just going to be uncomfortable. And because of that discomfort, the piece will probably go out of tune um, because the voices won't be able to handle it. The piece might go out of tune um, and uh, people will struggle to sing it. Again, this is more talking about amateur singers. When you're working on a professional level, you don't need to worry, really. But it's something to think about. Uh, I remember being in a choral training course when I was in my teenage years. Uh, a guy called Ralph Allwood, an amazing choral trainer. I reckon about 85% of choral singers in Great Britain have probably been through, uh, <laughs> been trained at some point by Ralph Allwood. He's just, he's been around for decades and, and has just had an amazing influence on the choral music scene in the UK. But um I can't remember. So I remember um, we were singing If Ye Love Me, If Ye Love Me by Thomas Tallis, which is a wonderful, uh, wonderful piece of, of uh, Renaissance, Renaissance choral music. And essentially, I think we were singing it in F major. And it was just constantly going flat. I, I can't remember the exact key. Sorry if I've got this wrong. I think we were singing it in F major and um, it was going wrong and it just kept going flat or something. And Ralph said, F major is not a good key for this piece. Let's do it in E flat major. Again, I, I, I'm making up the keys, but it was this kind of thing. He said, let's do it in E flat major. And at the time I thought, why? Why would that make a difference? It's, it's like almost the same key. Why would that make a difference? What's the point? But it just worked. Suddenly it was staying in tune. And I realize now that it's because when we were in F major with these teenage voices, the voices were constantly singing in their passaggio. And so they were really struggling and they were really struggling to stay in tune um, because they were having to sing at a quiet dynamic. And it's harder when you have to sing in your passaggio in a quiet dynamic. So anyway, this first part of the podcast was just telling you about the voice ranges, that it's hard to sing loudly at your very bottom range. It's hard to sing too quietly at the top range unless you're, unless you're more well-trained. And the passaggio is just a couple notes area in each voice part to, work, to watch out for. Um, so... Another thing to think about with voices is breath control. The more, you know, on one level, this is the same as woodwind instruments. Woodwind, woodwind instruments need to breathe and you need to think when you're writing for voices, where are they going to breathe? Can I give them space to breathe? Most choral singers and most singers are trained to breathe in punctuation moments, like commas, full stops and things that can help, but also, you know, give us rests to recover if if it if it works with the music, please do give us rest. If it's a choral piece and it's a long sustained note, then um, people do something called stagger breathing, where certain voices dip out to take a quick breath while other voices hold the note. And from the audience's perspective, you probably won't notice it. So um, if if it's a choral piece with a long held note, don't worry about it. But um, in general, think about places that give us little rests and places to breathe. Another thing to say about breath control is the more words, the more text there is, and the more diction we're delivering, um, the more we need to breathe. Because it just takes up more energy. If you're singing, give to me the life I love, let the lathe go by me, then that's a lot of words to get out, as long as you're pronouncing them well. And it means you need to breathe more because you're using up more energy, really. Um, Another thing to think about is lines, um, as in the lines that you write. So, so voice leading for reading. Um, if you're sight reading, then 
it's really hard for a voice to go like la 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 it's really going to be very very difficult um you ideally want lines with very smooth voice leading which means that the, the voices behave in very natural ways la sorry god <laughs> la do, 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 do. That kind of thing. Um, that's not to say you can't involve leaps, but you want to write in a way that feels natural to the voice normally. So I don't, you know, you can have a leap like there's a place is a big leap, but then it resolves down quite easily. So, you know, you want to write lines that are singable and don't have random sudden leaps. Because remember as well how a voice is reading the music. Um, with an instrument like a clarinet, you could sort of push buttons and the, the right note will hopefully come out. Or, or with a piano, you could push the right buttons and the right note will come out. But when the voice is reading, they're listening. A, a voice. When I'm sight reading a piece of music, I'm listening for clues around me. I'm trying to anchor to notes around me. If there's a piano accompaniment, I'm anchoring to those notes to help me find my note. Or if there's other voices around, I'm anchoring to those notes to help them to help find my note. Um, and then once I'm reading my line, I'm also looking for the relationships between those notes. I'm thinking, oh, that's that's a minor seventh, and then it resolves down a semitone. Or I'm thinking, you know, ooh. That's a C major seventh chord, so it must be ya D, and then it results to F major or D minor. So um, it, it, I, I'm thinking about it in terms of harmonic relationships. And if you write a completely random vocal line, I don't know, then it'll be much, much harder to read unless you're a complete perfect pitch wizard. But, but you know, very few people are, so that's kind of silly, really. Um, so think about writing lines which feel naturally singable and, and readable. Doesn't mean that everything has to be boring and everything has to be tame. Make write difficult music for sure, but make sure that it is possible. <laughs> make sure that it is actually possible without being incredibly uncomfortable, bouncing all over the place. Because that's, that's really hard for a voice to bounce all over the place. It just is. Um, doesn't mean it's impossible. Again, a world-class singer can do it. But, um, you know, anyway. Anyway, um, I, I, what I don't want to do with this podcast is is uh, frighten you out of writing difficult lines. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't write difficult music. By all means, write difficult music. But if in doubt, try singing it to yourself or give it to a singer and say, can you sing this? And hopefully they'll always say yes, but they'll also tell you how difficult it is. Uh, so what else? Ah, speed speed and agility speed and agility can be difficult and once again a professional choir will be better professional singers will be better than amateurs but um if you listen to john elliott gardner doing bach b minor mass in the bach mass in b minor there's a movement called cum sancto spiritu it's at the end of part one cum sancto spiritu in b minor mass by bach and if you listen to John Elliott Gardner's recording, um, there are moments in that where the voices are just a tornado. Um, you're going to have to uh, suffer through me 
demonstrated, but this is kind of like <laughs> I'm not even trying to be in tune because I'm just singing quietly for the microphone. But they go so fast. And I think that is that is pretty much the upper limit of how fast a voice can accurate accurately sing. Amen, amen. Really tricky lines. But you'll notice Bach wrote very fast lines. It's very difficult. But you'll notice that the actual notes being used are very close to each other. Again, apologies for the tuning. I mean... <laughs> not a day for my voice, but I was so excited to answer this question that I um that I came on anyway. So you'll notice that though the line is fast, it's um the the notes are almost neighboring to each other. I think the furthest leap in that line is a third. So you know they're only leaping a third or less. So it's easier to be very agile and very fast when the notes are close together. If you were going aha that it just it don't do it because it wouldn't be possible. Um so a few more things to say. Um, a choir, if you're, if you're writing for a choir, it's a bit like strings. Strings are, if you're writing, you know, double bass, cello, violas, violins, it's a very homogenous sound. They're all, they're all of the same sound world. So when you write a chord for strings, it'll just balance properly. Yes, this is a piano, not strings, but it'll just balance properly because they're all of the same sound world. Um, and a choir is a bit like that. It's all the human voice. And so you can write for them in the same way that you would for strings. Um, just some general guidelines. I'm not going to go into everything. But bass notes should be more spaced out than higher notes. You want to space out the bass notes. Because if bass notes are all pressed together, it gets very muddy. And you can even hear that on, on a piano. It gets very muddy. And there, there, are, there are physical reasons for this, that, that the overtones just clash. It's the law, law of overtones, really, and you can look that up. But if, if bass notes are really clumped together, or even just this, that's not bad, but uh, it'll be muddier than if you sp spread it out. So um, bass notes want to be more spaced out, whereas higher notes, it's okay to clash them. It's okay, and they'll, they'll tune better, really. Um, so it, it is the simple law of overtones, really. Space out the bass more and that the higher notes can be closer together. Um, and of course, there are always exceptions to these rules. And, you know, you can say that for everything I've said in this episode. You can always make exceptions to these rules, but these are just general guidelines for good voice writing. Um, when you're accompanying voices, it's, again, pretty much the same as for instruments. Very few singers, just, you know, if you were writing for an oboe concerto, you know, you, you want to keep, when you want the oboe to really sing, you want to keep the orchestra out the way. So very few singers can out-sing a loud orchestra. Very, a choir could, a choir could sing with a loud orchestra, but a solo singer, very few can out-sing a loud orchestra. Um, having said that, uh, I heard... Dame Sarah Connolly, fabulous uh, operatic soprano, you know, international standing soprano. I, I heard her really recently locally, and um, you know, she could she can dominate an orchestra, but she's really one in a million. She, you know, one of the few world class opera singers can outsing a loud orchestra. But in general, when you want to hear the voice, when the voice is really important, keep the orchestra more sparse. 
and also make sure that other instruments are, are not playing in the same frequency range as um, or, or not, not, not doing too much in the same frequency range as the voice. So if the voice is singing up here, don't have the violins also going loudly. Um, and in the same way, with other instruments, you remember that, say, the flute is less powerful down here. Well, that means that if you're accompanying and you want to you write flutes into your accompaniment, if you put them down here, they won't be that loud and so they won't get in the way. In the same way, violins are less powerful in their bottom range. They're less powerful down there. So if you have violins going... Um, if you have them down in that lower range, they're going to be less powerful. Whereas if you have violins up here in a stronger range for them, it'll be more intrusive. So when you're accompanying voices, generally keep the orchestra sparse. I Honestly, the best way to study this is to, to look at how other people did it. Um, you know, buy a score to a Puccini opera or something. Um, and, and to study that, because I, 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 I don't want to go into too much detail because we're reaching the half hour point. And I, so I want to close it up, really. But um, really, what this podcast has answered is not how writing for voices is different from writing to instruments, but how writing for voices is often very much the same as writing for instruments. There are a few differences. We've got to take account of the words. And, oh, there's a last point. I, I hadn't thought of this, but, um, you know, when you're writing the text, think about the, uh, the, the, the meter of that text. Um, I don't know if meter is the right word, but um, just you want to you wanna put the, the stress, the stress on the right words of the text. Um, if, if the text is the cat sat on the mat, you don't want to be going... The cat sat on the mat. There, mat. Mat is a good word to emphasize, but then we also emphasize the and on, which are like the least important words. It should be the cat sat on the mat or the cat sat on the mat or something. You know, you want to think about putting the stress in the right words. Um... That that will hopefully be fairly obvious. And if you're in doubt, just try singing it or at least chanting the words to the rhythm that you put it in and make sure it fits a kind of the right sort of poetic stress, um, which is hopefully kind of straightforward. If if you're if if you've read poetry, listen to poetry, listen to a good actor uh, reciting Shakespeare or something, you'll have an idea of where text stresses go and um, how, how you should rhythmically write your text stress. And not just rhythm, but the notes too. The, 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 the stronger notes of the bar should really be with the stronger words. And um, you know, if you want to emphasize a specific word, then think about where it is in their voice and things as well. You don't have to overthink it, but um, that's important too. I can't believe I left that till last. I just hadn't thought of it until just now. But aside from words, aside from text, writing for voices is actually very, very similar in, in many ways to writing for instruments. You need to understand the instrument that you're writing for, in this case, the human voice. And, you know, there's four different kinds. Well, there's there's more than four, but there's sopranos, there's mezzo-sopranos, altos, tenors, basses, and baritones. Um, know their ranges, know 
how they'll sound in different ranges and write accordingly. If you want the tenors to be quiet, then you can write lower in their range. If you want the tenors to be really loud, you can write higher in their range and things. If you want, you know, if you want a line up here, if you want a line up here to be loud, then tenors might do it. Or if you want a line up here to be loud, maybe give it to the basses or basses and tenors because it'll be louder, louder with basses. But if you gave that to the altos, it'll be harder to make forceful or you'll get that really as they really try to force out this note. Um, so, you know, different sound qualities in different parts of people's voices. Anyway, it's it's reached the 30 minute mark, so I don't want to I don't want to go further. But if you have questions for me, as I say, join my email list. Um, it's you know, there's nothing to lose. It's absolutely free. And once per week, I just send you a bit of exclusive content on um, on composing, composing advice or just motivation or, or that kind of thing. It's just a short, nice email. A lot of people like reading it. Um, there's, there's several thousand people reading it already, and it's, it's really special to have that audience and, and that encouragement. Um, so join that. And it's at insidethescore.com forward slash composers. And then you can send me your question. And if it's a good question for a podcast episode, then I may well answer it. Anyway, thank you, everybody, and I'll see you next time.